Welcome to this podcast from the Vessel Collective Church here in the heart of Texas. Our mission is to be vessels of the living Christ, set apart for His purpose and His kingdom. We thank you for sharing in this message here today. Amen. Can we thank these guys for leading us? Man, leading us into 2021 with some worship. If your New Year's resolution was to come to church, I want to say way to go. You're doing it. You're accomplishing it. So congratulations this morning. And so uh, Sean and Dustin, thank you for leading us this morning. You know, uh, preacher's kids always get a bad rap, but both of these guys right here are PKs. And so I was teasing them this week. Uh, our worship leader, Jessica's out. Uh, her grandmother passed away this weekend. And so please be praying for Jessica um, as they buried her grandmother and celebrated her life in Christ. But uh, thank you guys for stepping in and leading. And so in, in, in seriousness, though, that gives me, you know, as my own kids, and I think all of us, like just because you're a pastor or an insurance salesman or whatever you do, a mailman, um, you always worry about your kids. And you always think, man, how are they going to turn out? And, and how am I parenting them well? And so... Uh, Sean and Dustin, you guys give me confidence and hope that my kids are going to be awesome like y'all. So thank you for leading us. So um, as Dustin prayed and as we kind of said this morning, and really what the Lord did, even through worship, as we were leading and singing about kind of calling us into this new year and what's next, and, and like Sean said, this kind of response to saying God is calling us higher. God's calling us into something. And although yeah, there's no difference between today and four or five days ago, but there is something different. And I do believe that the Lord is good about working in seasons, and He is a God that is beyond time and space and transcendent of all those things, but He understands the world that we live in. And so every year um, for the vessel, when we start a new year, and by every year, I mean last year and this year, since we're an 18-month-old church, but every year at the vessel, we kind of think about coming in the new year. What's our vision for the year? What is God calling us to? And so if you think back a year ago this Sunday, we said that God was calling us to what in 2020? Flourish. There it is. To flourish in 2020. And so that's how you know how good it is, is that we all know that we are called to flourish. And so I promise you this. Well, I don't promise you this. I'm going to try that this is going to be the last time I talk about flourish because I've talked about it a lot this year. And I think that when we think about flourishing and we look back at 2020, I don't think anyone would say that's the year of flourishment, right? And it's not how we think and it's not how we anticipate, but I don't believe that. And I look around and I see God flourishing our church. I see God flourishing our lives. And I know it's been difficult, but so before we move on, I want us to give just a little bit of credence and a little bit of voice and testimony to God's flourishing this past year. So what I'm going to ask you to do is, is I'm going to ask you to share how you've seen flourishing in other people's lives. And I think that that's important. While you think about that, I want to say that a lot of times when we look at our own lives, it's hard to see what God is doing. But I've always found it easier when I look at someone else's life, I can see the flourishing that's happening in them and the growth that's happening in them. So we're going to share how you've seen other people grow in 2020. And, and my wife is a lover of plants, particularly succulents, because um, I think that they're indestructible and unkillable. 
And so, but she watches them like a hawk and she can see them flourishing. And so last night we had a Christmas party and we got home last night and she has this little succulent in the window of our sink. I mean, she has many succulents in the window of our sink, but one in particular, and she um, stole it from someone. We were at a house somewhere, and she took it out of their garden and brought it home. But don't worry, they had lots of it, and Shay was like, oh, if I just take this, I'm gonna put it here. And so last night, she's like, Jake, look, it's budding. Look at this succulent. Look at this little, she calls them nubbins. She's like, look at that nubbin right there. It's growing. It's flourishing. I'm like, that's amazing. You little thief, you. You little thief, you're right. What you stole is flourishing despite your thievery. So what I'd like to ask you is how have you seen other people in your life at the vessel, outside the vessel, flourish this year? And if you're participating through church at home, uh, I'd love for you to share that as well. Kind of recognize or call people out how you've seen them flourish. Yes, Mr. Dustin. Amen, that's huge. Yeah, if you were on, uh, online, Dustin shared his parents that have been in ministry for, I don't know, 20, 30 years uh, plus, and to see uh, fruits of their labor, even in, after all that time, that God is growing them and, and putting them in new seeds. And I met with your dad, and he talked to him about your mom, specifically, and how God's kind of called her in this new thing that's really been sweet for her. So that's awesome. Who else? Yes, Janet. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Wow. Man, praise the Lord for that. Janice, brother Shane, is really never have a relationship with the Lord to see that new growth and new life. That's awesome, Janet. Thank you for sharing. Melissa? Yeah. Amen. Amen. Yeah, praise the Lord for that. Isn't that amazing? Man, then when we go through heartache and we go through loss and how much loss have we had this year? And Janet, you know that firsthand. Just, yeah, a lot of loss this year. Your sister, and to go through that, it doesn't mean we don't feel those things. It doesn't mean because we have Jesus, we don't hurt and we don't mourn and we don't struggle. But to see like even in trauma, even in loss, even in mourning, to see God continue to flourish us. And that's amazing, Janet. So that is a huge testimony. Who else? Yeah, Ryan. Yeah, amen. 
Yeah, I agree. Yeah, Dustin, I've seen a ton out of you. And I know you've done, like your parents, you've been in ministry a long time. And to see hot-hearted, on fire with the Lord. And I get a, yeah, Ron and I both, we're in a men's group together and get to see a front row seat to that. And I'll echo off that and say the same about you, Ryan. Man, I've loved, we're in adult small group together, we're in a men's group together. And dude, just to watch your hunger for the Lord and your eagerness to go after that relationship and be faithful has, man, to see that flourishing has challenged and encouraged me. And at one of our, at our very last men's group that we had at the end of the year, Ryan led it, and he, he challenged us to buy a, buy a book for someone who doesn't know the Lord. And so, Ryan, because of that, I bought a Bible for my neighbor. Uh, so, man, way to go, seriously, both you guys, Dustin, Ryan. Who else? Serena? It's awesome. Heck yeah, that's a positive. Yeah, yeah. And praise the Lord for that. Yeah, if you don't know, Serena gives her life to sobriety and helping families and women and children and men to, to, to getting their lives out of that, to getting freedom and deliverance from that. And that is a long road. And so, man, praise the Lord to see God flourish in there and see people give their lives to let go and be free and get delivered from things that have emburdened them and imprisoned them for a long time. Thank you, Serena, for sharing that. Who else? Yes, Ginger. Amen. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Gary's been so consistent and faithful despite going through really hard stuff with your parents, with work. And uh, when I prayed for y'all this year, I prayed for faithfulness, a verse of faithfulness. And Gary, man, I've seen that, I've seen faithfulness flourish in you even in hard times. All right, one more. Anybody else have one last? Yes, Scott. Yeah. 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 It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. To see that in our workplaces and for Scott, for you to be faithful to... Continue to put the Lord first. And that's hard when we go to work, we can separate things. But to see the Lord do that, that's huge. So, man, thank you all so much for sharing uh, that. And that marks the end of Flourish 2020, right? All right. So, yeah, until next week when I mention one more thing about it. So, as we think about that and as we close the chapter of Flourishing, as we open the chapter of 2021, I want us to look forward to what God is calling us to this year. And so, as God has called us to 2021, I, our focus for this year is gonna be this idea of vision. And so we're gonna get into that over the next several weeks. So what is the vision of our church here at The Vessel? 
And so most of you know uh, that we have a mission statement here at the vessel. We have core values here at the vessel. And, but what we haven't presented is this idea of what is our vision. And Matt, while that may sound like this kind of corporate thing, I want to paint a, a little picture of what that, why those things are important and what we feel like the Lord is calling us into. So our, our mission statement is that we are called to be vessels of the living Christ set apart for his purpose and his kingdom. And as a Christ follower, that's our calling, right? That is what God has called us to do. And so it is who we are in our identity. And this image and this idea of being vessels, and we call ourselves Vessel Collective, it is literally a collection of vessels, for the Lord. And so, and I love the image of like this, like a ship of collecting people is that a ship is literally a vessel uh, that's not only on the water, but a, but a collection of people. And so that is who we are. But the truth is with our mission statement, being called to be a vessel, that's not exclusive to us in this room. That biblically as Christ followers, if you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you are called to be a vessel. That is biblical. That's what the Lord calls us in scripture. And then we, not only that, but we also have four core values. They're unity, authenticity, generosity, and humility. Gosh, I almost forgot humility. That would be terrible. So those are our four core values. And if those, if our, if our mission is who we are, our core values are uh, in some way, shape, or form our guiding rails. They're kind of our guardrails, and they have guide us and give us directions. And so if we're thinking of in our, uh, our old worn-out um, symbol of thinking about a ship, uh, our core values are like our coordinates. If y'all remember this fall, we did a series on coordinates where we talked about those four core values. They're the things that help us set our course. They're the things that help keep us from wandering off. And while there's lots of really good values that we could choose, integrity um, and others that end in ITY, generosity, humility, unity, hum and authentic uh, generosity, authenticity, humility, and unity. There's lots of other things that we could think that end in ITY, but really what they, those things mean that we hold them in a higher regard. And they're the things that really protect us and guide us. And so as we think about vision, you may think, okay, well, we know who we are and we have these guiding principles that we're unswervingly, we, we don't move off of. And I want you to know that a core value is not a core value until it's challenged. And, and until that, it's just a good word to say. And this past year, going through 2020, it challenged our core values, that multiple times our core values were challenged and to see those things hold true and to see the vessel kind of hold unswervingly to those values was really special and really encouraging. And so if those are those things, then when we think about vision, the vision is the what you do, is that what do we do? So if we know this is who we are, if we know these are the core values that guide us and give us direction, then the vision so to speak, and the vision statement is, is basically the wind that is in the sails. It's the thing that move us forward. And so that's what we're gonna move towards and start talking about in the next several weeks and this year. And so I'm gonna read some scripture out of Habakkuk, but before I do, I'm gonna pray and just ask the Lord to speak through his word. So if you would pray with me. Dear Lord, we thank you for, man, the testimony of flourishing, God, to look around this room and to see it in every single person. God, to be like Shay, uh, examining a plant and watching for growth and flourish despite hardships, despite circumstances. We thank you for that, God, and that is only possible through you. Lord, it's not for our own righteousness or the things we did. It's your goodness and your faithfulness. And so we thank you and praise you for that, Jesus. I thank you for our mission and who we are. I thank you that you made us to be vessels, God, empty of ourselves and full of your spirit. 
God, we invite your spirit into this right now. God, I pray that as we enter in the next several weeks to start this new year with this introduction of this vision, God, that it truly would be wind in our sails. God, that it would be the thing that moves and propels us forward. And so I thank you for that, God. I pray that as we open your word, that you speak powerfully and mighty, that your, your word is breathed out. God, and just soften our, the soil of our hearts and let us hear from you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So if you would, this morning, what we're going to talk about is just kind of what vision is. And at the end, I'm going to present what we're going to be talking about, what the vision of the vessel is. And so if you would turn to Habakkuk chapter two, if you don't know where Habakkuk is, you can look here on the screen. I'd encourage you, if you have your Bible on your phone or in your hand, to look that up as well. Um, there's, no, there's no judgment in using the, the, the index of your Bible or the table of contents. So don't be afraid to, to find Habakkuk. Habakkuk's in the Old Testament. And I'll give you a little context while you're flipping there. So Habakkuk is a prophet. He's a, he's a minor prophet in the Old Testament. And so because he's a minor prophet doesn't, prophet doesn't mean he's less significant. A minor prophet and a major prophet, the only difference in that biblically that we call is how big the prophecy is. So like Isaiah, that's many chapters, is a major prophet. Habakkuk is a minor prophet, not out of importance, but out of size. There's only four chapters in Habakkuk. So because it's less than 14 chapters, I believe is the indicator. It is considered a, he's considered a minor prophet. But that's not any difference on who he is or the importance of what he says. So uh, Habakkuk is this prophet and, uh, in the Old Testament. And so beginning as we come into chapter 2, chapter 1 is really he presents these questions to God. So the book starts out and the prophecy starts out with him, him asking God these questions. And really, they're beyond questions. They're considered complaints. So scripture talk about these complaints of Habakkuk. And so I, just as a sidebar, I want to encourage you that the Lord, you're not hurting God's feelings. God's not insecure. Your struggles and your frustrations and your complaints, God can take all those sort of things. And we get a great example of Habakkuk. So if you ever feel shame or you ever feel any sort of, um, when you bring complaints or frustrations to God, if you ever feel some sort of guilt over that, I want you to know that there's no shame in that. Like the Lord receives those things. He is not, he's not one that is sensitive, that his feelings can be hurt. He understands your heart. And even when those are hard, man, you don't have to read. You can read through Psalms to see David do that. And we see that in Habakkuk. So he brings these complaints to God. These really these two questions. And beginning in chapter two, we see how the response happens. And this idea of vision and what vision is biblically. And that's why I really want to set the table so that we, we can talk about vision, but really what is it biblically? And so beginning in chapter two, and I'm going to be reading from the ESV version today. It says this, after he presents these complaints to God, chapter two says, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come and it will not delay. 
So what I want us to do as we look through the scripture this morning is I really, there's three verses here. I want to take them verse by verse just to understand biblically what this looks like and what this vision is. So it starts off with something really important. We see Habakkuk, we see his, his ass. So he brings this ass to the Lord. Y'all got the projector working. Way to go. Uh, we see him, he brings this ass to the Lord. And then he says in verse one, he says, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower. And look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. So what's really important here and what I think gives us confidence as we talk about vision, as we seek the Lord for vision, um, is the posture of Habakkuk. And that's what I'll look at in just this one verse. Look at his posture. Uh, Habakkuk is known as the prophet of faith. You know, everyone in the, the Bible has a nickname, the sons of thunder, Jesus' favorite, that probably would have been mine, but Habakkuk is the prophet. <laughs> there goes humility. Thank you, Gary, for keeping the guardrail on. So, but I am the Lord's favorite, and so are you. So that's the great news. So he is often known affectionately as the prophet of faith. And we see his posture in this. And so we see first and foremost, when we read this, we see that he takes a posture of boldness. He says, I will take my stand. It is this bold proclamation of him standing there before the Lord with confidence and with boldness. This isn't arrogant. It's not, uh, it's not brazen. It's not disrespectful to the Lord. That what he's doing, he's standing in confidence before the Lord, boldly seeking. He says that he's going to stand and he's going to take his watch post. He's going to take stand at his watch post. And this is language of the Old Testament prophets, this idea of a watch post. And when you think about a watch post or an outpost, you think about, um, you know, standing there and watching out to what either you look for what danger's coming, what messenger's coming. You look out in the distance to see what is coming. And this is very common language in Old Testament prophets, this idea of them being watchers. And so as I've been thinking about my own life in 2021, um, as I've been praying the last couple of weeks, I, my, my verse for this year, personally, my verse for this year is uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. It says, for we live by faith, not by sight. And I feel like that's what God's put on my heart for this year, to be a person that walks and lives by faith and not by sight. And that is an Old Testament prophet kind of posture to take is that they were men and women that stood and watched for what the Lord is doing. Again and again, we see their boldness and willingness to take a stand and say, I'm gonna wait and I'm gonna see what the Lord is doing and the confidence that comes in that. And while I still believe in the gift of prophecy uh, as a spiritual gift, we don't, we don't have prophets like traditional Old Testament now. Is that God used and raised these men to deliver his message to his bride. And we have the gift of having the Holy Spirit that every one of us can take that bold stance of saying, Lord, I'm going to stand here. I'm going to have confidence and boldness to what you're going to do and the vision that you're going to lay out. And so he stands with the posture of boldness. And in addition, he stands with this posture of expectancy. It says, I will look out to see what he will say to me. That it's not a question of if. It's not a question of maybe. He doesn't say, I'm going to take my watch post and see if something happens. And we'll see if God answers. And let me take a look to see if God is coming or if God's vision or his word or his provision is coming in my life. No, he takes this, this posture, this bold posture that's also expected. He's expecting God to answer. He knows the truth about the Lord, that God's word never fails. 
God's word never lies. And God's word never doesn't fulfill what he's called us to. And so when we think about the promises of God, that we stand expecting God to fulfill that, if the Lord ever lies, then, then it's, it's done. You're done. God never lies. He always comes through. He's always faithful. So we see this prophet Habakkuk take this stance and this vision that God's given him with, with expectancy. And finally, we see him take a posture of patience. And this is something that uh, the Lord has brought again and again to our forefront on Sunday mornings. He says, and I will, uh, I will wait for what answer concerning my complaints. And it's this idea and this posture of patience. He said, I'm going to stand here and I'm going to wait on the Lord. And so plainly, that's what Habakkuk's saying, is he's going to wait on God's answer. And again, in the Old Testament, this is very common with these prophets. They didn't live in an instant society like we do. They, they, they were people that were expectant and patient for the Lord. And we know that the fruit of the Spirit, patience is one of the fruit of the Spirit. If you look at Elijah on Mount Carmel in 1 Kings chapter 18, there's this long drought that's been going on, no rain. And here's this prophet, and he's waiting on the Lord. Uh, in 1 Kings 18, it says, Go and look towards the sea, he told his servant. And he went back and looked up. There's nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, Go back. The seventh time the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose, a heavy rain started falling and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. And many of us feel this way. Many of us feel like we're in a season of drought, that we're waiting for the rain and that we go out and we see, is God gonna provide whatever that, whatever that wave of rain is, whatever that need is in our lives? And it says here in scripture, he goes back seven times. That he has this messenger. He says, hey, go out and look. And he comes back, no, nothing. He says, go back and look. And I'm sure, I, I don't know why he didn't fire him and hire somebody else and say, go and wait. Don't come back and tell me. Just wait there till you see God's provision coming. But it's this idea, and we see Habakkuk asks with this posture of expectancy, with this posture of patience, with this posture of boldness. And so as we think about and talk about God's vision for our lives, the visions for the vessel, that's our posture. It's a posture of patience. It's a posture of expectancy. And it's a posture of boldness. So then moving on to verse two, we see God answer. In verse two, we see the Lord's answer. It says, and the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. So he may run through reads, who reads it. And so he tells them, God tells him to do three things with this vision. He says, and the Lord says, write the vision. So first, the Lord tells Habakkuk, he says, write it down, write it down. And so if you know anything about me, I'm a journaler. And so I had a really good friend that bought a journal for me for Christmas, and that was a really sweet gift because I will use that. I don't write in a diary. That's for girls. I write in a journal because journal are for men. There's a huge difference. I think diaries have a lock and key, and mine just has a strap that keeps it closed. So I'm a journaler, and there's a lot of benefits to journaling. And she's shaking ass. I have them stacked up in the top of my closet, all my old journals, and I will get them back out often. I will read through them. There's many benefits to writing things down from the Lord. Uh, it makes you stop and think. It makes you consider the words that you put on the page to not be haphazard, 
to not let them go out of your mouth and out of your mind at the same time. To put pen to paper gives them a weight, a literal weight, the weight of ink that words don't just have. So it makes you put them down on paper. It gives you an opportunity to look back and to consider, to see God answering prayers, to see God's faithfulness, to see what God's brought you out of, to see his goodness, to see how you've grown. You wanna look how you flourished? Just if, you're, if your goal this year is to lose weight and to exercise every day, um, take a picture every day. You wanna see what it looks like? Stand in the mirror and take a picture every day and I guarantee you by the end of this year, you will see the change and whether or not you have um, accomplished that resolution. So, but the point is, is there's lots of benefit to doing this, to writing these things down. But most importantly, it's so that we don't forget. You write things down so that you don't forget it, right? If you're making a list or you're in a meeting, you write those things down so you don't forget what to do. Right, my Shay will write me, she's a list person. I'm not a list person. She will write a list of things on what to do and she does not forget. I do not write a list of things to do and occasionally I will forget, right? You also write things down for someone else not to forget, right? She will write things down a list so that I don't forget to do them and she'll put it on the counter so that every time I walk by I can see ah, the dishwasher. You're right, I'm supposed to do that today. And so you write them down so other people don't forget. You think about your kids in a Christmas list. We just went through Christmas. They write it down and they send it to Santa so that Santa doesn't forget. Our youngest asked for a hamster and skis. So we had to break, like, okay, buddy, the, the Santa runs list by us first. I'm telling you, you're not getting a hamster and there ain't nowhere to ski. He's like, we can go to Colorado. Like, buddy, buddy, buddy. So even though he wanted to write that down. He did not get what he wrote down. But the, the point is you write it down for other people to remember as well. And this is simple. It's a simple concept, but it's what the Lord tells Habakkuk. He says, write it down, put pen on paper. But biblically, it's more than that. Write down the vision, make it plain on tablets. That is you. You are a tablet for the Lord. So not only are we to write down the vision, but God is writing the vision of what he's calling us to do on the tablets of our hearts. Proverbs 3, 3 says, let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. Proverbs three different times says that very same thing, to write God's vision, what he's calling to you on the tablet of your hearts. So by you sitting here right now, participating through church at home, you are a tablet and the Lord has his chisel. He's ding, 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 ding. And slowly but surely, sometimes painfully, but you are a tablet and God is writing his story on your heart. And Habakkuk is an Old Testament guy. He gets it. Guess what? So are you. So God is writing his story on your heart. So we're supposed to write it down. Then he goes on. He says, write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so that he may run who reads it. And he says these two verbs here, run and read. And these are probably verbs that you haven't used in a sentence in conjunction together. I don't know if you've ever tried to run and read at the same time. I never have, but it sounds hard. And so he, he talks about running and reading and how these two have this relationship. And it doesn't say, listen carefully, look carefully what it says. It doesn't say, so that he who runs may read it. But it says that he may run, in the King James Version, may readeth it. 
it's not a requirement. He's not saying you've got to run hard, you've got to work hard, you've got to run so that you can read it. No, he says because you read it, you run with it. Because you've read the truth about what God is calling to do, you take that truth up and you run with it. So this idea of reading, I want you to know first and foremost that that is not just for us. That if God has given us this vision to write down that the people to read it aren't just us in the room and aren't just us at home. It's for people that are coming. It implies that that is for others as well. That he in the future, a vision is future. What God is doing, what God's coming, that that the person that's coming in the future is the one who's gonna read it and run with it. If you are sitting next to an empty chair, put your hand on that chair right now. Put your hand out on that chair. That is an empty chair and an it for someone who's coming, who God is bringing into our church, who God is calling to be a part of this body. That is what that represents. And what God is calling us to is not just for you, it's for that person. It's for these three people right here. We don't know their name. We don't know they exist. But God is writing a vision for our church to go after for them so that they can take that up and run with it, so that they can read it so that he may run who reads it. And then, what does it mean to run? What does it mean to run? Track was my sport growing up. I mean, I played other sports, but track was my sport. I think it was because it was like mentally, you just run hard and turn left. That's why I was a sprinter and not a distance guy, right? I just ran as hard as I can. I turned left when there was a left-hand turn. I was not a distance guy. I couldn't pace myself. But this idea of running is a biblical truth. And I would argue any of your sports, show me where your sport is in the Bible because mine is, right? And so what I, that's the reason I was, a, I was a, a track was my sport is because biblically that's what it is. So it's just being a good Christian. Hebrews chapter 12, verse one, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. You are a runner. And it says, let us, Throw off everything that hinders and sin that so easily entangles so that we can run the race laid out for us. Like I said, I was a sprinter. Anything over 200 meters was not for me. But if you ever watch those distance guys, those quarter milers, those 800 guys, right when they got around that back curb before, what what happens? A monkey jumps on their back. That's what you just say. You could watch it happen. They're running. They've got all the confidence before. they They hit that curve. And man, it is like a monkey jumps on their back. And the good runners... The guys that were true distance guys, they would run through that. And that's what we're supposed to do as Christ followers. Don't be surprised when there's a monkey that jumps on your back on the last curve before you finish the race. And we've testified to it this morning. But biblically, let's throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles and run the race that's marked out for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 is, do not know, do you not know that in a race, all runners run? That's you, that's me. But only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do, we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. So my question is, what are you running for? Why are you running? Are you running from something? Are you running from someone? 
Are you trying to beat something? Are you running from whatever sin, whatever shame you've had before? And you think, if I just run hard enough, I chase Jesus good enough, then I will leave those things behind. I'll be good enough to be accepted by Christ. Are you running after the world? Are you looking constantly what other people are thinking about me, what other people are saying, and I've got to run hard enough and run fast enough so that I'm accepted, so I'm successful, so that I have value to the world? And what race are you trying to win? And I can tell you the answer that you should give to all of those things until you sit down with the Lord and you consider, God, what am I running from? Who am I running after? What am I running towards? What am I trying to beat? And what am I trying to win? Until you can sit down with the Lord and know those things. That's a, that's a question for you to answer. But the truth is, when we think about vision, it's for us to, to read, to take that up, and to run with it. Not to sit in a room, not to just be believers with other believers talking about believing and getting our Christian bubble. No, we're to run a race. We're to give our lives we're to fight through everything that hinders us, all that sin that entangles us. And there will be a monkey that jumps on your back. But why are you running? Don't run aimlessly. Know what you're after. And that's what vision does, is it gives us clarity on what we're running after, what we're running for. When we turn left, stay in your lane. Enough on that analogy. Verse three, as we wrap up says this, it's this theme again of God's timing, which God has brought again and again to the front of us as we close out this year. And I don't know about you, but if I'm being honest, if I'm being authentic, I'm not always crazy about God's timing. Well, a piano is going to fall on my head. I'm not always crazy about God's timing. Yeah, or a speaker. <laughs> yeah, those things are big. I'm not always crazy about God's timing. I admit it. I want God to be faster. I want him to be quicker. I want it to be in my time. And we know that that's not always the way it works. But I want you to know to give yourself grace as I give myself grace, that we live the 21st century instant world. You can go out right now and you can order Instacart. You can deliver it to your house. You can put it in your Instapot and you can have an Insta dinner. And you laugh, but that is our lives. That is our lives. I ordered a dog bed at 5.30 this morning for my dog. I thought, January 8th? <laughs> Come on, where's my two-day prime, right? I need it today. My dog can't sleep on the floor for four more days, right? That's crazy. But that's our, that's our attitude, is that we live in an instant world, instant gratification. But God's timing is really important. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. Surely it will come. It will not delay in the perfect timing of the Lord. When you run a race and you are to read, I want you to know that you're to feast on this right here. I can tell you what to do if you want God's timing. Eat this thing. Eat it. That no one, no one has more access to God's word than you. On January 3rd, 2021, there has never been more access to God's word than there is right at this moment. You can download on your device. I've got a hundred of these at home if you want one. You can listen to it. You can watch it. 
You can get it in you, but we say, oh, I don't have much time. I don't have enough time. Ah, you know, I don't, I don't have time to get in God's word. Oh, I need to do that. That should be something I do. It says, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word of God. I have never been a distance guy, but I do know this is before you run a distance rate, you carb up. Man, the same is true as after chasing of God. Man, to take in bread every day. You say, man, I don't have time for that. But ask how many people in this room have watched Yellowstone or Stranger Things or whatever else is popular on Netflix. We haven't watched Yellowstone. We don't have that, whatever service that is. But we hear it's great. And the truth is, is that God's timing is perfect. And man, we're just to eat. We're to eat and to wait and to be ready and to run a race and to trust him for timing. We don't have to worry about it. Ecclesiastes 3 says there's a time for everything. A season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and flourish and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn, a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. It is time. God's word right now is perfect in your life. It is perfect where he has you right now. And I get it, we don't like that, but his timing is perfect. So y'all ready for the vision? One, Dustin is, I'll tell you afterwards. Y'all ready for the vision? All right, there we go. So our vision at Vessel Collective Church is that as vessels, we are to pursue an upward relationship with God, an inward relationship with one another, and an outward relationship with the world. This is the wind in our sails. This is what we are to do. This is what God is calling us to. It's not rocket science. It's not something that's brand new. It's all in here. And so over the course of the next several weeks, this is what we're talking about. What does it mean to have an upper relationship with God? What does it mean to, to pursue a relationship with Jesus? What does it mean to have a relationship with one another? A, a relationship, a unity of authenticity, of humility, and what does it look like for us to turn our backs and to look out towards the world that is in desperate need of a Savior and to know the truth of Jesus Christ? And how do we turn outward and love a world that needs a Savior? Let's stand and let me pray. Thank you for joining us this morning for our service. We are publishing content throughout the week for Church at Home through our social media and website. For more information, visit www.vessel.church.